I have never been really brave at all with my creation because I have like two albums that I never released that I worked on for years and spent fortune on never released them. Cause then it was like, Oh, it's not relevant now or whatever. I have, I'm the king of apologizing. I'm the king of procrastination, but for some reason this changed like everything. And I now don't think as hard. I make it, I put it out. I believe in it. I don't question it. All those things that I would never do before, just put it out. That's like the whole thing. You can't, nobody will see it if you don't put it out. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in TV, film, commercials, and off-Broadway. And every week I bring you an incredible mentor in entertainment, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. All right, guys, I'm so excited to introduce you to our mentor this week, Chris Mann, right? This has been so great. He has such a great journey and has done so many things, worn so many hats. So you might know him from the second season of The Voice. You might know his music. He's put out some great albums. He's done some work on some of our favorite movies and television shows, including Glee, Avatar, Letters to Juliet, Tangled, Sex and the City 2. He's toured with Adina Menzel. He has toured for two years as the Phantom on Phantom of the Opera or in Phantom of the Opera. And in addition to music, in addition to putting out these incredible albums, the last few months during quarantine, what he's done has been great. Story of a content creator. He started putting out these incredible parodies, right? He changed the lyrics of some of our favorite songs and put out some, you know, very funny videos that have gone viral. So you might have seen, for example, Hello from the Inside, an Adele parody, which has now garnered 14 million and counting views on YouTube. So he really walks us through all these points of his journey, both the highs and the lows. And I'm really excited to introduce you. So without further ado, welcome, Chris Mann. Hi. Hey. I'm excited. Yeah, thank you for being here. This is great. So there's lots to talk about. So I'm just going to go right into it. So what was your first role in the entertainment industry? My first professional gig uh, out of college, I was a classical voice major. I moved to New York. I was like, I'm going to get a record deal. And I was working multiple jobs. I was a bank teller. I was a waiter. I was a church singer, which was sort of how I sustained myself mostly by doing classical church singing. But eventually I did get lucky enough to get my first record deal with Sony. And that was, you know, life changing. The ship had come in. I quit my job. I was like, fuck you guys. I'm out of here. And then uh, (laughs) only to skirt. I got dropped. So the <laughs> the uh, label fired everybody. I made this really beautiful record. I had moved from New York to LA. That's what brought me here. And then found out when I was in San Francisco, showcasing with Imogene Heap. Like, I love Imogene love. Heap. Age the Elephant. Who else was there? I can't remember. We were like Sony's big releases. Of, and I stepped off stage showcasing for iTunes and learned that everybody in my label had been fired. I was being dropped. My record wasn't coming out. So... Life completely yeah. crumbled. I uh, had what I call the 72 hours of darkness where yeah. everything and anything happened. Yeah. <laughs> we don't speak of this moment. And then I ended up in a tennis match uh, in LA. And my friend at the time said, hey, he knew what was going on. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm, I just got hired to produce the music for this show. I don't know if you want to, why don't you be like, come do it? And uh, I was like, okay. And it was Glee. And that Glee hadn't started yet. Oh. So I, I, my first session job in LA was Glee. And uh, I did the first two years of that show. And then, of course, the sessions was tiny and very connected in general. So it plugged me right into that. And I, I still session when I was, you know, doing huge things or was totally out. Like I was always doing that. So um, that would how, be my first. How often would you be called in for like a session for something? So session work is very competitive in LA and I'm sure other cities, but, um, incredible talent, incredible singers, but it's usually, there's like a short list for people. And, um, so I think there was a glory day of session singing, which is predates me, but people were working 
every day and they were making big livings and this is all union work. But when people started to, you know, companies started taking work overseas or where there aren't unions, like the work, there is less work than there was. So what, from what I'm told, so I would get called in when I was on Glee, I was doing it, you know, a couple times a week and those were fantastic sessions. Yeah. But, um, my main work that I do is more on the classical side. So that's a different list of singers and that is choirs for like a Disney movie, for example. So I sang on Frozen, for example. So those are all, you have to be able to read music Mm -hmm. and it's a classically trained voice. And so, and it's a different person that's hiring as opposed to Glee, which are like incredible pop singers and they don't necessarily have to read music. You just have to be able to deliver the part with film scoring. You have to be able to read. And so, um, so an animated film or an action film, you're the, those are the two choices here. Like when I show up for a session, it's either going to be animated or it's going to be like Jurassic world, you know, something huge. Avatar. Avatar. I did avatar, you know, and you can hear, it's one of those things that if you know it's happening, you can tell that there's a choir going on because in all that music, uh, there's like, ah, you know, like the really dramatic sections and uh, that's real people like us. And we're in there. Uh, and the huge screen behind us, uh, whether it's dry sand scoring stage or whatever, huge screen behind you with the conductor and the composer all in the booth and they're conducting to cue. And, you know, so I remember the, the first movie I did was 2012 and the movie 2012. And I thought it, cause I had never done one before. I was like, I called, I think I called my mom. It's like, they don't even tell you the title. They just put like a code number yeah. for what, what this movie is. It's like a it placeholder. It's a placeholder. They don't, it's so top secret. It, it's, it's actually just called 2012. So that was the first one. And then I remember seeing, I did Avatar and I remember, cause the gra- the movie is never complete when we're doing this. So I remember being like, these graphics suck. <laughs> And it was just because they were not even finished. I was like, "Ooh, did they skip out on this budget? Like what? They went from Titanic to this. Like, Ooh, James Cameron. He's really, he's really lost his edge. He's slipping. Oh yeah. He's slipping. So anyway, but I've had some really, and now that I have a three-year-old, we're watching like Wreck-It Ralph and Tangled and Frozen, like movies that I sang on that it's kind of fun to be like, Oh yeah, I remember doing this one and how long did you do that for you know because that was over a longer period of time that you were i still do it good yeah i still do it yeah and i i actually had to my problem is that because i was i would leave like for two years to go do phantom or i'd be on tour or i would be on tv people that hire out would just not call me because they'd think like Chris doesn't live here anymore. They would think Chris is not going to come in and do the session and all these things. So, which is false because I get my insurance through the union. So I'm yeah. like, please, no, no, no. Y'all call me. Yeah, uh, People don't know you need to make a certain amount of money in the union to be eligible for insurance. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually spend at least once a year, I, I reach out to everybody and remind them that I am here and that I would love to do your sessions. Which is crazy that like at this point, like, you know what I mean? That we still have to like follow up with people in the industry. Just be like, hey, still here and still still like to work. Yeah, not too cool, not too rich. Because this is like sessions would be a great thing to do to earn money during all this. So that's been interesting. I have done. Then there's like the remote singer who's who's been set up for years who like you send in a a file and you send back and that's like jingle singers or, uh, you know, if you're singing on albums, that kind of thing. And I never really did all that, but now I do. So because I have through my parodies, I'm recording all my own vocals and stuff. And so my, I've actually set up a studio at this point. So I've actually worked a couple times because I have the remote setup. And then I, there, like, I just recorded a, what happens is they'll like, I'll get a text. It's like, Hey, this is literally what happened two days ago. Can you record a, like an imitation pass of that thing you do? The, that thing you do. And I'm oh, going catchiest song ever, ever. So I'm like, the truth is I want to, my eyes roll in the back of my head because there it's an audition. I'm like, I'm looking down. I have like spit up on my shirt. I don't really want to audition for this, but also I need my insurance because I have two kids now. So 
So I go into the room and I cut the vocal and send it back. So sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Like it's just an audition. So I've yeah. done a Rugrats thing. I've done something else. I don't know. But yeah, times are changing. And yeah, because the studio shut down. There yeah. was a brief moment when they're when they let like super strict COVID guidelines with the recording studios. I'm like, you had to be in an approved studio. And I don't even know if those are open right now. So it's like, you better have your mic, you better have your preamp, you better know what you're doing. And there are plenty of people that do because... Do you ever do Disney animation or recently anyway? Like any Disney kid shows? I don't know about Disney kid shows. I've done a million Disney parades. I would say that's like the weirdest thing. I have done... 20 parades for Tokyo and Paris and, and America, but oftentimes it's like Tokyo. So that's a, always a very interesting session. It's grueling because there are two guys, two girls that are, and it's usually the same group. And we are stacking and doing so many parts that at the end of it, it sounds like there are 50 singers doing a million parts and it's four of us. And it takes, it's a long day or two and the Japanese client flies in from Tokyo and they're there with an interpreter and we are usually singing. Sometimes it's like Japanese and sometimes it's very silly sort of made up little things. But in general, the, the music is insane, incredible. Marco Marinangeli is the writer and producer of those who I worked with when I was, you know, he produced something on my universal record and he didn't produce something on Sony. I've worked with them a number of times, but he's the guy for these parades and they're so elaborate and they're actually a lot of fun. But so I, yeah, that's like a random thing. I, I'm on whatever the big parade is that like happens every night at Disneyland. Oh, yeah, yeah. And me and Heather Headley are, are part of the, we're both singing like a whole new world. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've been doing this for so long and, and sure. so many, like, yeah. I've had so many iterations of my yeah. career that I'll, I'll be like, I'll literally be in the grocery store and I'll be like, oh, that's me. Or I'll be at Disney World. I'll be like, oh, yeah. That's me, or <laughs> Yeah. Hey, that's a fun thing to do in life. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing all these sessions. What, what was after that? What, 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 you know, so you're doing these sessions and then... Right. So I was doing sessions, trying to recover emotionally from... From like a some... very traumatic thing. I mean, that is... Very traumatic. It is. Yeah. I did. There was a couple years there where I was doing session work. And then eventually I got picked up by Irving Azoff's management company, which is he's the biggest manager in the world. And so my, that was like a really big game changer. Well, I I actually, one of his, you know, managers in his company, well, this isn't, I guess this is an interesting thing. It's just about like being nice and keeping your own contacts. And it's like a general business lesson or life lesson. But there was a guy, a mixer, a very prominent mixer named Dave Pensado. He's mixed a mazillion number one hits and he worked on my Sony record. And the truth is that when I, you know, a couple years in, I was later, I was probably struggling to figure out how to get back in or, you know, and I read, I just emailed him. I was like, Hey Dave, this is what happened. I'm, you know, I fired my management at the time and I'm looking for new management. You know, if, if anybody comes to mind, literally 10 minutes later, he was like, Oh, I know who should manage you. It's, it's this woman at Irving Azoff. Like I'm going to connect you. Then like two minutes later, I had an email from her saying, let's go to lunch. And then I like did it like two days later and I was signed to this enormous company. And it, I appreciate Dave. And I think that's so cool that he was like, Oh yeah, I got you. Or this is who it should be. I also, I also really like how you felt like you were now in a place you could even just write to him because you were able to write to him all that time, right? I mean, what was what, what was that moment that you were like, this is the moment I'm going to write to him and see if he has a suggestion? Well, I think probably, God, I mean, I'm sure that I was sort of, you know, after the Sony thing fell apart, I was probably like not interested in doing anything. And then I got wrapped up in the session world and I was probably, you know, kicking that around. I don't know. At some point I was like, okay, I'm ready to get back. And I want to be a solo artist again. It was probably came from honestly doing all that session work. And I was singing back, I was singing for and backup for all of those Glee people who are great. And I love many of them, but at the same time, I was like, I don't, that's not what I want to do. I'm not. And so when I probably that's what it took like two seasons of me not being front and center yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then wanting to be front and center. And so Good. I think I was really playing that glee card because 
I started to be on camera. I was in Warblers with Darren Chris, but I was like older than everybody. And even now that was so long ago, I was young, but I'm, I was older than everybody. So I, and I looked older than everybody. I'm like, I'm, why am I in high school right now? They always like put me in the back row on the corner. I was always like, this is how I was always trying to, I could see the camera and I would always oh, do I'm like, you won't cut me out, motherfucker. I'm getting in this frame. <laughs> It's like, we, it's like we just know we know where the camera is on. there he is oh yeah i'm like i will find that and yes you will not cut me out of this episode because i will be getting that check thank you by the way that is a parody in and of itself i want, I want to see that video just you being like where's the camera and hi That's, i'm gonna do, do it i mean my wife is a has done a million commercials and she she learned that trick too because there had there are times when you book a principal commercial and then you don't end up in the spot and guess what you don't get your check so she has literally done that where she's just sort of like fully. It's such an act. I think it's like a reflex at this point now. Like at some point you're just like, you just, you're like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Oh, I got paid. Yep. This is natural. <laughs> this is natural. She got paid principal rate for a Corona commercial when she walked out of a refrigerator in the background in a full scuba outfit where you could not see her face. And she, we were like, hallelujah. What is the <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> she, yeah, found so she found, she found a, way. a way. She found a way. So I don't have animosity with like the people that I've worked with in the past. And I always have maintained good relationships. And I always like to be hands-on because I always have been hands-on. And I think that that's some that's why I'm comfortable calling Dave and being like, hey Dave, it's it's me. You know, can you throw me a bone? Or I didn't even ask, I didn't even expect him to do anything. That's the thing that's cool, is that people actually are really down to help. They really are. Unless you're a dick and there's plenty of the dicks, but if you're not, I think like you can call in your favor and I've called in many, you know, I've many, 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 I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. So, and I like to be able to do that for other people as well, you know, anyway, so that began my new chapter after Dave hooked me up with Azoff and then through Azoff very quickly, I started working with David Foster and the David Foster thing was nerve wracking because he, I used to write him letters when I was a kid, oh, like, please discover me. And he never did. So whatever. And he's like, he's a tough cookie from what I've heard. You he know, is he's a like, tough he knows, cookie. he knows he's talented as all else, but mm-hmm. I feel like he has a very specific idea of what he wants and he'll be, very and it was never me. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. So, so I ended up at his house in Malibu and to audition for him and the way that that works is literally show up to this beachfront property and he is very charming and you he invited us in and i was in his living room and he sits down at his grand piano that looks out over the ocean and on that piano are the whatever 20 grammys that he has i don't know and so you're just like it's and then i'm just standing there like i'm taking a voice lesson or something and so we start singing you raised me up or something. I mean, I'm terrifying. So then I I remember this little girl walked down the stairs. She wasn't little, but she was a lot younger than me. And she sat underneath the piano and she was like, Oh, I thought Josh was here, Groban. And so well, that's a good sign. Yeah. Heard your voice and thought she just assumed it was Josh and it was Gigi Hadid. And nobody knew who Gigi was yet. And neither did I, I, she was just a little girl that lived in the house. And so David took me, he started having me go out with him on his live stuff. So my, I very quickly did an event for him in DC with Catherine McPhee foster. What? And that's how I met Kat McPhee. And now all these years later, it's Catherine Foster. So, but that's how I met and that, that video, which has like blown up even more this year since my other videos have is me and Catherine singing the prayer. That was first time I had ever sung with David Foster live on stage. I was terrified. Sound wasn't working. And I mean, it wasn't not working, but like my mic was slow to come on. And so I get, I, the comments are awful. Like people fucking hate me in this video. Like, Oh my God, I'm going, you guys have no idea what I was going through in this moment. Cause David is tough. And I remember in soundcheck, I was marking to save my voce because the voice, the prayer is high. And he, I, I like went into falsetto on the, I've sung the song a hundred million times, but I can't think of the words. Whatever that is. And he, I flipped up in a falsetto and he stopped and he was like, can you hit the note? And I went, I was like, yes, but that I went into the, that night with that, that was my setup was like, can you hit the note? And so I was terrified. Did you hear the Celine Dion story with uh, My Heart Will Go On? 
No. So she said, David gave her a key for My Heart Will Go On. I think it was My Heart Will Go On. Oh. And she, they agreed on like a, like a key change. And then she went into the studio and he, she was like, he's like, surprise. I made the key change higher. And she was like, are you kidding? Like, that's a hard note and still a very hard note. And she, and he said to her, if you can't, if you can't do it, I'll find like Whitney, I'll find someone who can. So she's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And she did. And obviously it became that. But you think to yourself, yes, like, did. what kind of, what, you know, that is that is a producer right there. Yeah. Well, I am thankful and, you know, yeah, glad yeah. to have that opportunity. And, and you later, I mean, you later sang the prayer with Christina. I did. I did. Did that feel very redeeming almost if you like you felt better about that? Because that was beautiful. That was a very cool. I like that moment was amazing. So shortly after this, I I did a number of things with David and then obviously liked you. Yeah, he liked, he yeah, liked yeah, me yeah. fine. And like yeah. I just I emailed him about his marriage, like not the one that ended, but the new one that began. I was like, Congratulations. And he, you know, responded. I'm I like David. He's yeah, cool. Yeah. He's fun, but he's yeah. definitely tough. Which is not a bad thing. I mean, he's gotten great results out of people for being tough. That's his style. That's all. Mm -hmm. I ended up auditioning for The Voice and I... So what made you decide um, to do that? Like out of all the show, I mean, this was only the second season. So well, this is new. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had auditioned for Idol before. I didn't get anywhere. And I had to audition for season one of The Voice and didn't get anywhere. So I don't know. I'm a, I actually found out while I knew... The thing that I changed was that my styles, like my love of music is very diverse. That has been a very difficult thing for me in my career until this year when I began singing every style funny and everybody loved it. So it, it like took seriously, it was my biggest strength and my biggest drawback. And it, it has driven me nuts. And I almost quit music because I'm like, I don't know what uh, it's hard. It's did better find, to sound like. Did you find it was because like people kept wanting to put you in boxes that they totally. were familiar with, right? They needed to put you in a box and my voice does a lot of things. And so yeah. it's better to sound like Josh Groban when you have one, you got one trick and that's your trick. And it's that, and that's like better than, cause you, you always know what Josh sounds like. You always know what Adele sounds like. You always know what Bob Dylan sounds like. And when you start doing these other things, it's, it's harder to pin down the brand, which so I did, totally get it. How did that make you feel at the time? Like when you were trying to form what that was. Terrible. Yeah. So frustrating. And my, my catalog of work, is schizophrenic but i love all of it yeah. because but it's totally all over the place and and i would have big react like knee-jerk reactions to things that happened to me you can like tell that something has happened to me and then the music changes so like after roads which was my very beautiful universal record which yeah. i loved it was classically based and covers and all this stuff and then when that period ended i made constellation which is popular more singer songwriter yeah. Not to mention when I was starting to make, like years later, starting to make another album, Noise. And I was, I found myself like starting to go back into the, I was like, well, this is sort of the format that everybody expects. And, and I'm going, wait a second. Like, no, why am I, why do I need to make another record like that? Like, so I was like, I'm going to make the record that I never got to make before. I don't give a shit. And yeah. so I made Noise, which is like super pop R&B and totally different. Totally different, by the way. I mean, it's very different vibe, very different sound. And I feel it probably had a... I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I definitely feel like the influence of like the parodies and stuff went into it. Like almost like it, it felt more free. I feel like not that I'm a music expert by any means, but there was like something freeing about it. It just felt very like... I don't know. That's how I, that's, well, that's, that's cool. how I, I interpret it. And I'm just, yeah, thanks. I like you... interpreting other people's music. I mean, like as yeah. a classical singer, I did that. I love that. And I, I think that's what happened this year. Like for, if people don't know what I did this year, I made parodies that were extremely, they got shared all over the place and I made almost 30 of them and they're, and I'm still making them, but that made me feel the most authentic out of everything yeah. I've ever done because I was, sense. I rewrote the lyrics and then I was totally putting my personality and then all, I wasn't having other people do it. Like that's the thing that you sort of implied, which is my wife knows is my biggest problem. Cause I'm like, Oh, you like me? Oh, you, you think I should do that? I, I'll do that. You know, it's, I, I I've done that. that. I've done that so many times. And I think because now I'm at a place in my career where I, do not give a shit as much. I'm like, nah, I'm going to, 
And so, but before I was so desperately wanting to like be in this game that if somebody thought I would, I could do this, that, and the other. And the, the thing is, which is cool, but is that I could do all of those things. So it, you could, I could bend it and be JT and I could bend it and be Josh. Like, and so in everything in between. So it was a problem. Anyway, point being, when I went on The Voice, I packaged myself on purpose as Josh Groban. To, I sang his songs. What did you, what did you audition sing. for the first one? Just curious, for season one, do you remember? I probably did something that, this is what anybody that asked me, and, and I haven't done this and thought about this in a minute, but here's what, here's what oftentimes happens when people walk into probably all these shows. Who do you, whose music do you listen to? Oh, well, I love Adele and Pink. And I also love Post Malone, but I really love Miranda Lambert. And they're like, Thank you. You may leave, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I did, I would do that because that's true. Like yeah. we love all those things. However, from a casting standpoint, that is not helpful. So I'm sure what I did the first time was like I, something like that. And what I did the second time was I went in in a suit and I remember being in that room of auditioning it was the only person in a suit. I probably looked like a secretary lawyer. Everyone else was like, Oh, I'm so cool. And then I was the only one in a suit. And I sang, you raised me up and I sang the prayer. And I said, I want to work with Christina because I want to sing the prayer in the finale. And that's exactly what happened. But isn't that ironic in a way that like, you know, the voice you'd think theoretically, and obviously it's similar, but theoretically they're not supposed to judge you on your, on your face, on your, because the, the blind audition, that's the whole idea that separates yeah. the voice from other shows really. Yeah. But the, the camera's not blind. The producers aren't blind. Exactly. <laughs> America's not blind. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. You've been you know, pre-approved. You, still, you death. still need to be put into, you still need to have the story. You still need yeah. to have the box. You still need to have like, how, how can we place you? Yeah. That was the other thing I struggled with big time is that I never had, I don't have like some crazy story. And I remember and at the time my mom uh, had cancer and I asked her, can I literally exploit your cancer? And I regret it. I hated it. And then they talked about it for like one episode and it felt awful. And then luckily this, the narrative shift into like the opera guy. And I was Good. like, thank God, because this is gross. I don't like this, but I did, I did say that in the audition. I was like, Oh, you know, and so, but I felt that I had to, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, they, they want the story and it's like, so if you're starting enough, but you know what, listen, that's a chapter yeah. in your life. It's oh, yeah. awesome that you went through it. And it was awesome you... fucking great. Like yeah. it was, so insane, so much fun. Like my, it really was amazing. So life-changing, completely life-changing. And that was at the beginning of the show. So now the show is, I believe on like an irrelevant pile of dog poop, but yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm I have lots of feelings time. about them, so but like, it was a really great When thing. it airs, when those blinds, the blind auditions air, how, how much time has passed from the actual audition? Cause that stuff, obviously, I mean, Probably at least like a couple months, I would imagine. Wow. Okay. And so when does the the live stuff, all that stuff, is that within like a month time frame or like how, like once it starts becoming like America's voting and stuff, how does that translate in terms of time? Well, blind auditions are pre-taped, battle rounds are pre-taped. So think mm -hmm. about like, they might do how many, how many weeks of blind auditions? Four yeah. to five? I have no idea. Yeah. I actually don't watch the show, but at least four weeks are blinds and then then they have those subsequent rounds. Those are all pre-taped. So there, let's say there's another four weeks of battle rounds. That's two months. Then, then maybe I would say at least two, two plus months before that, that I would come back and be live. I just realized, I, I mean, I've seen the show in terms of like little spurts, but it's hard for me to like, so yeah. So I did know that there were battles. The show's the, different, completely different, different okay. than when I did the I show. I only saw the beginning, really. So I probably yeah. saw your... They season. changed the rules. Like, the rules are different. They have different little gimmicks and oh. and whatever. Same okay. same coaches. <laughs> same coaches, really. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so so then the live... So then the last couple weeks probably are the most exciting, right? Because... I mean, it's all exciting because all exciting. when it's being filmed... Like your family's still being brought in. Everybody's just under like you get to uh, sing. You're singing like the. Yeah. There is no more exciting place to perform than on that voice stage. It is electric. It is huge. That's it cool. is larger than life. The audience, when we used to have audiences, may they rest in peace, are unreal. Like it was 
unreal. And we we were stars. Like you're a star. And also you're live on TV and here's Justin Bieber coming well, in. So or that's what I'm fun. That's the sort of thing I'm I'm interested in too, is that like, you know, so there's the live part, which is so fun as you're saying, but then when it's airing, when people so, are starting to know who you are. Yeah. So we would go, we're all sequestered. This again, this is past, but it's gotta be similar, but we would be sequestered at a hotel. We're all living together. All of our families are there. So, and we're shooting in LA. So like the the, the rundown of a, of a live show is that all day, all morning, all day, we are doing an actual dress rehearsal of the entire show in full glam, full wardrobe and everything. And then we do the show. So it's a full run through and... I don't know why I don't like the fact that there's a dress rehearsal. I mean, for you guys, that must be great. But there's something about the idea. Yeah, because they have to mark everything. Oh, the camera blocking. And that is not... that We've already done like individual camera blocking. And that's how they... The day before is becomes very important because the show order is... Once you are in the show long enough, you're like, if I open or close the show, I've got... If you close the show, you're the best number. And so every, and they determine that order the day before when they're, when everybody's doing their number on stage and and then they set the order. So I always felt like not everybody got that. And like, if you you need to go out and fucking crush your dress rehearsal because they're, they're casting, (laughs) they're putting this in order. So it was always like, not great. If you're in the middle of the episode, you're like, that's not good. If you open it or close it, but I think closing's best. So, but we shoot at five. It's, it's from five to six because it's West coast. Right. So then we would go home and then it would be airing at eight. So we would all be in the lobby. People would wow. have drinks, we'd have dinner and we would all be there together watching the episode with our family in the live. It was so fun. That's and fun. Hearing each other on. And it was really fun. And then, or people be sad or I don't know. It was usually a joyous experience like that. Yeah. That's the cool thing about that show is that it was, it really was like a happy, it's a happy show. So, and, so you place fourth, but really get propelled. I feel like, right. Oh yeah. So I I basically won. I think I would have won. There was some real, real life shit going down between Christina and Adam and Tony Luca, which everybody, you know, everybody was all up in arms about this back in the day in 2012, when this was all hot. 2010 Um, drama. (laughs) And people really hated Christina and it was very unfair. I watched, I did see Adam, who I like Adam, but he fully manipulated everybody by poking at her. And they sang songs like, I got 99 problems with a bitch ain't one. And it was fully directed at her. And when Christina reacted to that, basically turned it on her. And then America was not kind. So it was very unfortunate because she actually was just being honest. And she is not like, there are easier people to get along with than her and the best you know, in no yeah. offense meant, but on the other hand, like she was not, she was really just sort of being real about it. And unfortunately on her subsequent seasons, after she got crucified and I got fourth, because I think I would have won. Mm. People were so mad at her that there was like anti don't vote for Chris campaigns because of to get really? back at her. So her attitude, her character changed on season three. She was like, Oh, I'm so nice. There's nothing bad to say which, you know, it sucks. Screw everybody. You know, it's like the, those troll, the troll lifestyle and stuff. So yeah, she definitely changed after that. But what happened, I got fourth and, but because I was already working with Irving Azoff, I like went and I was already through him working with Ron Fair, Christina's old producer. He had a deal at Universal. I was very lucky. I already had like a dream team going into the show. So when I got fourth, I got signed to Universal on a different label. I didn't even go. The voice label is a bunch of probably sure. Yeah, I was oh, like, I, it's I'm terrible. Sure the voice label deal contract. It's terrible. terrible Tell, so. you know, talk to any. Uh, no, it's a bunch so of the end, Like it kind of is better that you. it was better. Yeah. yeah, I would have probably gone. No, I guess I would have had to go there. But yeah, it was better. So I ended up getting like a proper deal independently. And with better people and then made three records with them and immediately did two PBS specials, which was a dream come true. And, and that set my next number of years up because I, and I still, I still am. I tour year round in performing arts centers. That's where my career landed me because of the style. So symphonies and whatever, and I loved doing it. And, but eventually I got kind of bored. And so I decided I would like to go back on stage a different way 
I asked my agents, can you look out for some Broadway stuff? And then I specifically asked for Phantom because I love it. And they were like, oh, you don't want to be in Phantom. You want to be in like Dear Evan Hansen or Book of Mormon, like something popular. And I'm going, I don't... It's the I longest don't... standing, it's the longest running show. True. And I appreciate that there's like cooler, hipper shows, but my voice doesn't do Book of Mormon. Well, okay. So I read the story that you, you auditioned for Raul, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you... They immediately were like, oh, wrong part. We need you to yes. When I heard you sing Phantom, and I have a friend who asked me to ask you a question because he saw you and thought you were incredible. So he oh, saw you. Nice. But Thanks. you, your voice fits Phantom perfectly. Like there's, do you feel like there's been many times in your life or like, I just felt like, you know, you singing that just felt from an audience member, like, like a glove, like you're just like, that works <laughs> so you. well. Do you, I appreciate do you feel it. that when you first mm-hmm. started doing Phantom? Yeah, I love the music. It was presented many challenges, but like technically, yeah. but it was, it is, it's gorgeous music. It did feel really authentic. I felt very authentic. I think that's probably where my voice should be, but I fight it because I want to be cool. And well, but- listen, you could do many things, <laughs> but there was just something about that that just was like, oh God, that's like, it's like, Thank you. you know, it's like with anything, any anything creative, like there's a certain moment where mm-hmm. everything kind of just fits. But it was perfect. definitely like an, a different, it was definitely a different result, you know, having done a thousand showcases for labels or trying to like wear this hat, wear that hat. When you're auditioning, I was very confident going into that audition, but I was also, there's a lot of things that worked for my favor. I don't, I don't know anybody in the industry who I was sitting across from in Burbank in my audition for Rao. If I had known who they were, I would have been nervous, but I didn't at the time. So that always helps. It was like a major casting director, a major producer, a major music director. And I was like, Hey, I'm Chris. And then I was very confident to sing all I ask of you. So, and it was like one of those rooms that you just sound good in. And that always helps. You're like, ah, I, like you could really fuck up and it would be totally fine. Yeah. And, but it, it did, it, it clearly fit, fits my voice. And they stopped me and they were, they said, no, 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 you're a phantom. Can you sing music at the night? And so I read it over Jim Lau's shoulder, <laughs> the, and the U S supervisor, music supervisor for casual. that and casual. And I did. And then I was called back in New York and then I got it in knowing how impossible it is to get cast because those tapes have to be, first of all, you have to get past this like army of casting people and not to mention all this other incredible talent auditioning. Andrew those, Lloyd Webber, right? He, those he tapes to... go, yes, Andrew has yeah. to sign up. And then Cameron McIntosh, whose production of this, this tour was, he gets sent these tapes and he has to be like, yes. And then I had to do a in-person one in Florida before we opened in Florida, before he like finally let us take the roles, he had came in and we had to do it for him. Wow. And after all that to think like, how did I get this? Like it was, it was really lucky. So in the right moment, yeah. right time. Yeah. So. Oh, so many questions. Okay. Well, I'll ask my, my friend's question because uh, so my friend David from the Silhouettes Jersey Shore podcast, he wanted to know two things. And I was like, I have to ask because he's such a fan. So one, when you were doing Phantom, what was it like to see yourself with like the full makeup, costume, prosthetics, like anything? How was it to see yourself like that? It was exciting. The longer I did it, the more I hated it. Because they, if you have a two show day, they would prefer that I not take that off. And they would buy me a very expensive meal in between because <laughs> like it was cheaper for them to like spend a lot of money on my lunch than it would be to replace, to do another prosthetic. So, but all of your sweat stays up in there. So, cause I have bald cap on, I've got the glue, I've got the face. So it, I would just be like, oh, I'm going to rest. And then all of a sudden sweat would just drip out my eye and I'd be like, God damn it. And then I'd be, <laughs> It was hot. No, like laughing a, at you. no, if it was Miami or something and I was like, it's so hot anyway. And then, yeah. oh, it was so that, but from like a character perspective, what I ended up doing more of is looking at this picture of a, I guess it's a black Panther. This is before the movie, but there, there's an animal that it's a black leopard, which I think is, a, do they call that a black Panther? It's a, it's a black cougar. And it's just like the fiercest looking animal. And I would all, I would keep a picture of that animal because that embodied phantom for me. And so that that was like an easier, that was more of a trigger for me than, than seeing my cool. prosthetic. Uh, That's cool. But obviously 
the the prosthetic is incredible and Rudy yeah. Guerrero who's yeah. a makeup artist on tour he becomes a really good friend because you're together all the time and how long does it take to get used to singing in it you know that's I would say that it doesn't really the prosthetics very easy it's not stiff it's super flexible but the mask can be I think the mask is hard but think about like bald cap prosthetic mask wigs costumes on like all of it harnesses to so that you can be chained into second story set pieces and it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> but you get used to it capes like it's but i always got super excited when i would hear the the phantom organ go because i never got dressed until that i heard that chandelier go that makes sense actually i don't even you come know? on stage for yeah. like 25 minutes so right. i would be you know, chilling. And then I'd hear, and I'd be like, fuck, I guess I should get ready. And that was always exciting because when that chandelier would go, it's super loud, all that music. And I would hear Jackie Fontaine as Carlotta. She would be doing huge warmups, like getting that, getting her high. Cause she comes, she opens the show, the head. And she's like, so she would, I would hear her. It was like, quintessential showbiz yeah. it's like all right so the show's cool. happening the audience is freaking out because the chandelier just got revealed this huge organs playing and all the actors the dancers are they're like all right let's we're about to go so they're stretching you hear people doing vocal warm-up i would maybe if i was in a good mood i would like leave my dressing room still in like underwear and like wave at everybody would be like hey fun and then the show and then our show starts because up to that point is that long auction scene where you know and the truth is that the, the phantom is a very isolated role i, I barely see anyone true. and so i would always like long to i would like be with long the crowd to, like where the cool kids at so we're done with phantom and then what i mean you've just done so many shows but it's like hundreds yeah, of shows. 700 700 mm. so you're probably a little burned out i imagine totally burned out i so, was yeah. studying for the gmat during my shows because I was like, I'm done. I can't do that perform. anymore. Yeah. yeah. I have to finish <laughs> my contract and I got to do something else. And I'm going to go to business school. I, yeah. That was my plan. And I have applied. pictures. In the, I applied and I got in. got in. And then then the voice comes calling back and they say, yeah. hey, Chris, can you come open this big show for us in Vegas? And I said, no, because we were pregnant with our first son. Yeah. I, can, I don't want to move to Vegas. Like, I just got into business school. I've got a plan. No, really, Chris, can you please, can you please come open the show in Vegas? That's only six months. Sure totally ruined everything because I signed on the show never happened. I had a non-compete clause. I got taken off the market as a solo act. I didn't, I wasn't booked for like two years. I didn't go to school. I deferred it fucking ruined my career. That and this is like the second time that something devastating happens. I'm sure there's other, there's other moments I'm sure in between. I'm not trying to, you know, no, but this was a huge one, arguably the biggest. Yeah. Well, especially because, you know, your wife's pregnant, you had something else. Yeah. And I was like, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I was done. I thought it, I thought I was like done, done. So that was bad. And then, (laughs) and the luck, I am very lucky that I have things that come through for me, you know, session work or my concert, my solo concerts never, like I always had something, but it was just not what it, what it was. But, but then this sort of rolls right into, I'm in this place from like, I don't really love what I'm doing. It's not as busy as it should be. Is it over? You know, did I have all my little moments and that was the extent of my career I kind of had accepted that that was yes. So then when the pandemic hit and everything really shut down for some, just a little bit more backstory, what through, I think the Jade that formed slowly on the chip of my shoulder (laughs) over the years of dealing with the shit. I, and doing so many concerts, I love doing concerts and small venues and like being sarcastic and, really rolling with the audience. And like I had little bits that would form organically that I would repeat because they would land. And then I would also be very improvisational and I, with my shows and what ended up happening over those two years, basically when the voice bent me over backwards was I, the comedy of in my shows 
really started to dominate the show. Mm -hmm. And I would be really kind of like put off by that because I would be in a meet and greet. I would have sung for 90 minutes really hard, really. I would be like, I just sang my ass off for 20, for 90 minutes. But everybody would be like, that was so funny. I just would not, I was not sure how I felt about that. So well, cause they knew you were going to be good at singing, but it's a, probably like you as a person. It was a surprise. They, yeah. It was a surprise. So, and I'm over all of this and myself and everything. And so I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> so I did a Valentine's show last year. So okay. one year ago here yeah. in LA. How, how long ago after the Vegas thing was that? Just curious. Two years. Okay. So I hadn't done an LA show in a long time. So a lot of my friends came and I have friends that work in the business and whatever. So I did it. It was a fun, (laughs) or whatever. It was a fun crowd. Everybody was like super jazzed, and I had a blast. It was really fun. And they were like, "You're funny." Yeah. So I had all these people like, "Can I take you to lunch? Can I take you to lunch? I need you to. You should lean into your comedy. You need to lean into your comedy. You need to sing funny songs. You need to lean into your comedy." And I was like, "Well, I I get that, but I don't know how to do that because." I've known for being this guy and I have my audience and half of them are like, don't even know how to use the internet. And then like, I don't know. I'm like, how am I supposed to be funny now? So that was, that seed had been planted. And then all my shows get canceled in March. This is like right after this pretty much. So I'm going, cool. Thanks universe. Appreciate it. Um, not, nobody thought, nobody knew like what we were in for with this pandemic yet. It was very early. But I had just and just like unknown. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know, and we thought you know toilet paper. Uh, that whole we thing. thought yeah, we thought like a couple weeks, yeah. you know, a couple weeks to pass. So oh. I went on that big grocery shopping trip when things were officially locking down. Everybody was freaking out. You couldn't find a parking spot. You couldn't find anything on the shelves. I wore a mask for the first time, and I came home. I have this two-year-old, and I, for some reason, I was like, oh, I'm going to write a parody about to my Sharona and call it my Corona. And I did one passive. I did, I did it very quickly. And then and I went to my, I assume you uh, recorded it. You recorded the song first and on garage you, band. Yep. Yes. Okay. And then I took that into my bathroom and I had a ring light with the phone holder. I was like, all right, I'm just going to look around. Like, here's some wipes. Here's some, here's a basketball. I talk about here's Purell. Here's gloves. Here's a mask. And I put them on a chair in front of me and I just like winged it. And I, I maybe did it twice. And I put it online. Like I've never done anything like that. I don't know why I did it. I think I finally probably didn't just didn't give a shit about like my reputation. And I put it up in four days later, it had 20 million views. What? Well, I was like, what is happening? And my honest reaction was mortification. Right. I can't believe that this is going viral. I'm singing into toilet paper rolls. I have a degree in opera. I have been on the Kennedy Center stage and this is why this is what's going viral. What what about it was, you know, this is, I love this because what about it specifically was crazy or is it multiple things? Is it, was it the fact that like you've done so much and this is hitting that enormously? Like 20 million is such in a, days. in four days, is mm. such a high number in such a short amount of time. I mean, if you look at, it's just, it's hard to compare that to other things. Was it, it, was it because that was hitting or was it because, you know, like, what was it? Was it the fact that you were like doing something so different than what your brand was? I did not believe, again, chip shoulder jaded. I did not believe that viral things were real. I didn't mm. believe that that wasn't orchestrated. I didn't believe Interesting. I had done, I have had million dollar budgets from labels where we make viral videos or I put money behind something, nothing. And then for something I literally spent very no, no time on and no money on and something that was totally off brand, it exploded. And I was like, this is, this is viral. Yeah. And I, I just didn't even know that it was possible. And I never would have thought that that would happened to me after and, and all I've done by yourself, like by myself. party of one from, from, from inception for the whole thing that was capable of getting 20 million. Yeah. And that this is like the big, the beginning of the biggest revelation of my whole life is that I can do something. I don't need, to, because I've been around, I've constantly been in the game. I've have access to brilliant people and I have always leaned on those people to yeah. do because I can't but I can. 
Ah, I love it. And it has changed my life because there's, I feel like I'm in control of my best self. I'm on operating on full cylinders as opposed, you know, I never, I don't, why did it take me so long for you to stop? Other people know this early. I just didn't. I don't know. A lot of people never figure it out. Some people never figure it out. You know, we're all like that stupid lesson of like, find your voice and just like do you and do only, there's only one you. Like, sure, I guess. No, we, we hear it. I'm still figuring. I mean, like, it's just, that's a hard thing. I think, and for some people, bless them, they figure it out right away. And yeah. it's like, you know, they don't know how hard it is for everyone else. Because mm-hmm. it's hard enough to even, I mean, for some, for, especially for creatives, like you and I, like we knew right away from a very young age what our passion was. That's already mm-hmm. something that a lot of people don't have. Right. And on yeah. top of it, to find out what's uniquely you, it's such a broad statement to ask people. Well, it's really, it's just ironic because I know I was literally like guilted and punished for my whole recording industry career for the versatility that I had. And what has happened this year was I exploited my versatility and then I won. And it was like, I, and it was a total accident. Like I take no credit for it because it was a total flip. Well, I didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't try to um, that might have been make part a of it. video. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. you don't, when you don't care, not don't care as much. It's not that. It's more like when you don't have the same expectations on something as other stuff. Sometimes yeah. that I think you don't really it's know. Weird. It's, a, it's like a perfect storm. Like the yeah. entire world was home. Everybody was watching their computer. They're freaking out. Like literally, the world had stopped. And I released this video. I do credit myself for adding lyrics to that baseline, I don't think it would have been as popular if I hadn't said, I need toilet paper, toilet paper. If I had just let the intro run, mm-hmm. I don't know that this would have been the same thing. I think it was, that was the song period. And I did that and I chose to do that and I didn't really think about it. But in retrospect, I think that's what did it is that one line. So how'd you come up with the second video after getting 20 million and four days? So the reason why I made another one was because I was like, I have to, I can do better than that. So I was pretty much doing it because I was a little embarrassed about my Corona. So I made, I did Vogue, which the, like the editing is a lot more intricate. There's a lot more going on and the singing is better. And so that was why I did it. Were you editing it yourself on like iMovie or something? Yep. I was on GarageBand and iMovie and now I'm on Logic and Final Cut Pro. Matt, please, please sponsor Chris Mann. Please. And I, I learned Logic and Final Cut by watching YouTube videos. Like I'm, a, I'm an annoying cliche, but I knew, I knew how to do, I knew how to cut a vocal on GarageBand. I knew how to do editing because you know why? Because I've been dropped so many times. I had to record a demo for somebody. I needed to do an audition. I had to make my own sizzle reel. I I've, I made my own music video. Like I've done this throughout my career, but I I never have like not to this extent. Now I'm not I'm, developing it. Just like no. enough to get through. I know how to yeah. do the. To I made get my it. reel. I made my self tapes. Yeah. I made, you know, but at some point you're like. So eventually I did. I was like, I need to grow out of iMovie because I need. I'm ready to do more bells and whistles, whatever that might be. But I did Vogue. It was really fun. That one did well. That was Hugo came in, came in on his own at the end of the video. I picked him up and that was the first time he appeared in one. And then Madonna quickly like imitated her. She did a parody after mine. And I was like, did Madonna just like try to rip me off? Excuse me. And then, which is fine, but (laughs) but the question's still there. I did. Do you know what my third one was? I don't. It, I didn't write them in order. I just, but I know obviously it might have been. Said hello. I mean, it might. I think it was. So. No, I think it might have been a thank you frontline. Oh, was that because right I, after? Because here's another thing that happened that was really crucial. When my corona blew up, some of my friends, a particular group of friends that are in the business here, all reached out together as that's like one click, and they basically confronted me and said, "This is a huge mistake." you're, you're going to be on the wrong side of this. This is going to ruin your career. And it's the same group that was like, pulled me aside after they saw my show and were trying to tell me to be, they were like, you should do comedy. And then this happened and they all told me to pull it, pull it down. And I was so confused because I was looking, there were a hundred thousand comments on the video that were all positive. Like it was unheard of. We're not talking like 75,000 haters to 25,000 like supporters. It was a hundred thousand supporters. People loved it. And then there was like four people here that whose opinion mattered to me that were like, 
this is a mistake. You need to take it down. And I almost did. And then I was like, nope, I'm not going to. And thank God. And that was kind of like the la- the the nail in the coffin of of letting other people control yeah. like what I do. Hey. So there's a lesson there too. Like yeah. if your if your gut tells you something is right, you need to listen to it. So I did thank you because I wanted people to not think that I was making fun of this, which I never have been. Nope. So I did. I enjoyed that one. That was more of like a thank you. And, and where I mean, the are comments people? on that are beautiful. They're amazing. Oh. They're amazing. That's when like the community really started to form. I was, it was people coming together. They were commiserating. They were, they were, you know, mourning. They were laughing. They were, it was, it was ridiculous. And I, it was so special. And so by the time I did my fourth one, I had done all these silly ones. And I, I, I literally said, everybody knows me. My whole career has been built around ballads. And so I need to do a ballad. What is the ballad? I should do something dramatic. Adele means melodrama. And I was like, oh, hello from the outside. What if I did hello from the inside? And then I told Brilliant. my sister the idea and she was like, oh yeah, because we're all like in our fishbowl with our faces pressed up against the glass. And I went, oh my God, there's, there's the video. Image. Yep. And I, I and then that. I did it and that like blew it. That was like the end. It like pfft, everywhere. And so you asked what it's like. I had been dropped by my agents like three weeks before I did my Corona. I had no representation, everything you can possibly imagine. I, so my personal email was up on my, all my socials because I have no reps. Right. I literally could not keep up. It was the Today Show, CNN, NPR, Kelly Clarkson show, blah, blah, blah. Someplace in Middle East, someplace in Europe, the BBC, can you do this? Fox News, da, da, da. It was crazy. And it was every day. It was so much that I forgot to get back to the Today Show for four days because I was so overwhelmed. And like that, Good problem, for any Dad. performer, it's like such a, yeah, that was like so hilarious because I would kill to be on the Today Show. And then the fact that I like didn't even bother to get back to them because I was... It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And we were just laughing because we couldn't believe it. We, yeah. I mean, my, we, my wife's been with me from the beginning and I've been doing this for so long. Like we couldn't even believe it. We're like, are you fucking kidding? I don't have a publicist. I don't have a label. I did, <laughs> did this all alone in my bathroom. Like, I can't believe this. And anyway, so it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And I have just had the best time. And then you put out noise them. in October. And so I put out the record and yeah, I put out noise and it's so some... good, but I mean, oh, but thanks. you get it from a lot of people. So whatever, but it, no, it, I appreciate it's really it. good. And the lyrics just really stick with you, you know, like I let's do grown it. up things. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, it's such a simple phrase, but it, it's, it's just, you know, well, I appreciate that it. It, it was yeah. a, a really fun thing to do. It made me feel good. I love the music. I love the beat. And that, that's sort of, I think that was the beginning of where this all was coming from. Cause I said, if I'm going to make another record, I want it to be, have everything in it that made me love music in the first place, mm-hmm. because I had been so influenced at this point. So I was like beat driven, R&B, falsetto, Indie RE was my first tour. I love her. And then she ended up joining me on the record. Horns. Like I literally just like made a list. Yeah, we didn't even like, talk about touring with her in, in Adina, right? Adina mm-hmm. Mitchell. I guess technically Adina was my first tour and then India was yeah. my second. But yeah, so I, at this point, musically, I don't even know if I care what I do, like I, I would rather keep, I like being a creator more than a solo artist. So I, I what I, I always admired Harry Connick Jr. because he does everything. And that was always my goal. So I, I'm, maybe I'm not. Do you want to like, act like him too? Do you want to like, I mean, as an actor, oh, yeah. act? yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I always have, I want to do Broadway. I want to do film TV and do I'm do developing Broadway again. Of course, of course. So, but I think I have more, obviously I have more opportunity. If, but knowing my story, these, these moments happen, they come and go. So I'm very aware of that. And I'm just trying to make sure that I keep it going. And because... Which I think you are, right? I think... I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you are. Okay, so last couple of questions, very small. So one, we kind of talked about this actually already. So who are your mentors? Who are people that influenced you? And this could be, this is a hard question, but it could be anything that comes to mind. So vocally, who are your mentors? Or, you know, in your life, who have you felt helped propel you? I think you said that David guy earlier... Was it not David Foster? The, the other, the, who's the guy who's 
the tennis court guy, the one that gave you the sessions, anyone you think of, who, what comes to mind? I mean, obviously my family's been really very supportive. My mom has like always been incredibly supportive throughout our, all my family has been. Yeah. So without, and my, my friends are all, they've all been like such believers. And so no matter what happened, I always had like this pretty massive support system that always believed in me in some fashion. I, I don't know how you would do this without that. I mean, cause I've seriously been doing this for 20 years and with ups and downs, so it's like not possible to do it without that. So that I think from a personal standpoint, obviously my wife is, she keeps it real, 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 like too real sometimes. And I'm like, can you just like fluff a little bit? <laughs> a little <laughs> is this much? <laughs> yeah. A little less real. So that's that. And then, yeah, that's such a tough question. I think my time at Vanderbilt was incredibly crucial, like so formative. And then, you know, I've had Walter Afanasiev was producer that I worked with the most throughout all this time. I actually began with him in 2006 or seven when I was developing with Columbia and that never happened. And then having someone that like, stuck with me when I was in and out, I don't, I'm not working with him now, but through the years that had always been really important. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, influences wise, like I grew up like listening to Celine Dion, as lame as that is, but every it's singer. Not lame. It's not like, lame. Loves. I mean, she's only the best. The so. best. So how could it be lame? Yeah. Yeah. Them. I love Brian McKnight. I love mm. Pavarotti. I love Backstreet Boys. I'm, I know. I love Backstreet Boys. I loved NSYNC. Yeah. So that, that was truly, really was as bizarre and incredible as it, as it was when AJ called me out of the blue and says, Hey, Chris, it's AJ from the Backstreet Boys. It's <laughs> like, what? I'm Can you please make a parody with me? So, yes. So no, it was great. It was a great, it was an amazing, amazing little moments. And last question. So how, and this is a kind of a hard one. I never like to give it an advance because I feel like, but how would you define success? I think success for me definitively now is like standing by your product with pride mm. and with like true authenticity, because I've been, I've been on big stages before and I, but I have sometimes haven't felt like fully authentic. And that's hard to keep up. And so I would say I feel the most successful right now because I have full ownership of what I've done. And I also just believe in it so much, even though it might be silly and funny, but no. I believe in what it is. And I feel very successful in that, in that that's what feels successful to me. And I think that can be in all of aspects of life. Like when yeah. we first moved to LA, we were very much, you know, you get really caught up in keeping up with the Joneses and people are so have a lot of materials here and we have plenty and like I've done well enough to be able to provide a life that we're proud of. And it's not as big a life as other people have here, but it's big. And, and that was sometimes hard for us to like acknowledge because we were young and wanted more. And I think now we feel more comfortable in our skin and maybe that's just age. I think it's age and having had some successes, but I think that it's the same thing. Like we feel really authentic in who we are as people. And that makes us feel successful in, in life is to just be like, I'm good with where we're at. I mean, we always want more, but. Which is fine. I yeah. Mean, yeah. That's all part of it too. I don't, I think you can enjoy where you are right now and still want more. And mm -hmm. have that. Well, it's well said. I mean, that's a great answer. Thank you. And thank you for, for doing this. This is fantastic. I think there's so much to learn from your journey. I mean, one of the reasons why I did this was because I just think, especially now, there's so many people that are just looking for resources. They're not able to work as much. And I feel like, you know, A, this is just such a great story and just to follow your career and follow what you're doing, but also just how much you've just done in the last year and creating your own work. I just think that's so, I mean, I just want all of us to, to learn from that. Thank you, know? you. You know, I'm seeing, I think people are, I'm not rubbing off on them, but artists are, are creating their own stuff. It's, it's all over Instagram. It's on TikTok. People are doing, they're stepping into their own factory and it's cool. It's like a, yeah. we are going to have a renaissance of content because artists have been stuck, but I have never been really brave at all with my creation because I have like two albums that I never released that I worked on for years and spent fortune on never released them. Cause then it was like, Oh, it's not relevant now or whatever. I have, I'm the king of apologizing. I'm the king of procrastination. But for some reason, this changed like everything. And I now 
don't think as hard. I make it, I put it out. I believe in it. I don't question it. And all, all those things that I would never do before, just put it out. That's like the whole thing. You can't, nobody will see it if you don't put it out. So put it out, make something, put it out. Love it. Well, it's a great place to end on. Thank you, Chris. I really thank appreciate you. it. And thank you for taking the time. I know it's a lot. It's crazy with two. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, you can also find me at, at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast, and I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.